This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Self-Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist and I began Self-Work six years ago in order to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be very interested in psychological or emotional issues, to those of you who might just have been diagnosed or you're having a relationship problem that you simply can't get wrapped around, or to those of you who might be a little skeptical about therapy or searching for any kind of help in the emotional or mental health region but you're willing to listen to self-work. So I want to welcome all of you or any of you that don't even fit in those categories. Just welcome. Today we're focusing on self-absorption or being highly preoccupied with your own concerns, your inner thoughts, yourself in general. This isn't an episode on narcissism, however, which is the personality or characterological disorder that's most typically associated with self-absorption, where someone seeks relationships like a sun seeking planets that will revolve around it, someone who needs the relationship to be all about them. The value you have for a narcissist lies in how steadily you give, forgive, forget, but stay put, no matter what the injury to you. But self-absorption is on a spectrum, which includes, at one end, disordered and destructive problems with emotional regulation due to perceived abandonment or lack of constant attention, to just staring out of the window, being lost in your own thoughts when someone else's voice or even presence startles you. But in this episode, we're going to talk about how depression can be viewed as an implosion of the self, which is basically self-absorption. But I'm speaking of self-absorption, not in a condescending or judgmental way, but as a way of helping the person who's depressed as well as the people who are trying to love them. To understand and be aware of how two possible components of depression, especially anhedonia and apathy, can be perceived in relationships as self-centeredness or self-absorption. And as always, we'll talk about what you can do about it. Let's first hear from Ozark Mountain Medicine and the healing that can come from CBD as well as OMM's gift to the listeners of Self Work. When life gets busier with what can at times seem overwhelming, you want to have as many coping mechanisms at your fingertips as you can. For me, Ozark Mountain Medicine's CBD products are the best way I've found to soothe my own aching muscles. Instead of only one form of CBD, there are 16 varieties in OMM's products. Simply knowing I can reach for it gives me relief. What's most important is that it works. I've been told at least three times in my lifetime that I needed to be assessed for back surgery. And three times, I've kept walking, getting massage, and steadfastly using this product. You can take it orally in tincture form or a calming salve, which is what I prefer. That's also available. And there are other benefits of taking such a high-quality CBD, including immune support, increased relaxation, reduced anxiety, and improved sleep. So here's Ozark Mountain's fabulous offer for self-work listeners. All you have to do is use this promo link, ozarkmountainmedicine.com slash selfwork and you'll receive 10% off your order. I never suggest a product to you that I haven't used myself, and I reap this one's benefits each and every day. Again, that code is ozarkmountainmedicine.com slash selfwork. Sometimes the best solutions are right under your nose, so try a bit of Ozark Mountain Medicine CBD and see for yourself.
I started calling depression an implosion of the self several years ago. When you work as a therapist, when people come to see you initially, you're often not meeting their healthy self. You're meeting someone who's demoralized, not themselves, going through something they don't understand or even have words for. With depression, this is often due to what I've termed an implosion. What do I mean by that? Well, implosion is the opposite of explosion. Implosion is an incidence of something collapsing violently inward. Think of when architectural engineers or explosive experts place explosives in a building so that when it falls, the building falls into itself. That's implosion. Whether your implosion happens slowly over time, whether it's caused by a sudden trauma, or whether it signals a return of destructive thoughts that are triggered by circumstances or a disturbing cycle, who you are and have been feels gone, vanished within the rubble of a collapse, and you can't seem to connect with your joy, your pleasure, or your interest in anything. I often hear things like, I used to be the one at the office who'd always get things done. Now I'm trying to cover up my lack of giving a shit. Or, my kids don't understand what's happened that I'm not there anymore. So they fight more with each other. They get clingy with me. And all I want to do is sleep. Or, I was fine last week, but it's as if I don't have any control over my own thoughts. And suddenly, I'm crying and afraid of the thoughts that might come next. Dr. Leon Seltzer is quoted in Psychology Today on his ideas concerning self-absorption and the potential damage it can do to relationships. Our relationships are damaged, sometimes irreparably, by a self-preoccupation that undermines the closeness or intimacy that all relationships require if they're to be nurturing and resilient. It's extremely difficult to clearly appreciate the world that exists outside ourselves when most of the time our focus is directed inward. But when I hear or read statements like this, I feel hopeless. Irreparable damage? Who wouldn't feel hopeless? Does that mean if I'm depressed, then my relationships are doomed? No. So I think it's more hopeful to try and pull apart what causes others to perceive that someone, maybe you, is so wrapped up in themselves and their pain that there's no room for them to exist. With the hope that if we pull this apart, we can better understand exactly what is going on and what you can do about it. Before we pull self-absorption apart in depression, let's hear from Athletic Greens, or AG1. What better time than now to decide that you're going to do something for yourself in 2023 that will only add to your sense of well-being, where you can begin every single day with an act of true self-care, not a bubble bath, not even a therapy session, But by drinking one glass full of 75 high-quality minerals, vitamins, probiotics, adaptogens, and whole food source superfoods, which support everything from your gut to your immune system to your energy level. I use it every day and love this habit because if you're like me, self-care can get lost in a day full of kids, work, meals, and whatever else comes along. AG1 knows that people who listen to self-work are seeking to make their lives better. So Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. Become your own green machine in the first hour you're up and around. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash self-work. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash self-work to take ownership of your health in 2023 and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So I think we've already established that depression 
is about self-absorption. Again, that's nothing we're being judgmental about. It just is by definition. It's energy turned inward. But there are two twins found in classic depression, apathy and anhedonia. I call them twins because they often are seen as one and the same, identical twins. They're symptoms of depression. They get mixed up with each other, but they're actually different. But they can happen so simultaneously that they're difficult to separate. But in order to get help or to treat, then their distinction can be really important to point out. So let's talk about the difference. The website Good Therapy had this to say. Anhedonia is defined as a lack of pleasure in previously pleasurable experiences or activities. And it's distinct from apathy. While apathy refers to a lack of motivation or energy investment on many levels, anhedonia is the lack of a specific feeling, pleasure. Now, it's not uncommon for a person to experience apathy and anhedonia simultaneously. So, this is the distinction. Anhedonia is a lack of pleasure, and apathy is a lack of energy or motivation. Let's first talk about apathy. All of us have days when we don't have energy, when we have to scrape up every bit of energy we have to go to work or fix a meal or even text a friend. Time seems to drag on and on. Maybe you can figure out what sapped your energy, but maybe you can't. But what if that kind of low energy or apathy was a part of your life almost all the time? What if you felt as if you had to force yourself to do even the smallest of things every day and you might be there right now? If so, this is really for you. That can be depression. Sometimes we forget that depression has three ways of expressing itself. Through your emotions, through your thoughts, but also through your body, your physicality. And certainly, if the things you need to do aren't getting done and they're your responsibility, that can lead to a terrible cycle of guilt and even deceit as you avoid people or conversations or situations where the topic of what you've been apathetic about, non-motivated, non-energetic, just might come up. It can lead to a huge negative spiral. But it's also important to check out what might be physically draining you. Maybe you have poor eating habits, poor sleep hygiene. You don't exercise at all, or you have pain which drains your energy. Maybe you're deficient in a hormone like testosterone. Maybe you're vitamin deficient, or you have a medical problem that you're not aware of, like a thyroid problem or something else. Maybe the relationships in your lives aren't supportive. Maybe you're burned out. Maybe you're struggling with focus, as in ADD. And you find it hard to sustain energy. It's so important to try to understand the context of where this apathy is coming from. So you can get checked out by a medical professional before you assume depression. I always try to remember to refer my clients to their PCP for some general blood work and a medical checkup. Yes, that takes time and energy. But I never want to assume that something is mental or emotional when there could be an underlying medical issue. Apathy, when it goes on too long, leads straight to guilt and even shame. You didn't have the energy to get something done, and so you beat yourself up about it. The text, you're too tired to answer. The errands, you're too fatigued to run. And obviously, if this goes on for days, and you don't have food in your fridge, or you haven't paid bills in months, then that apathy can cause chaos. The voices of shame and guilt can grow very loud. That can become a reason to look at that lack of energy very closely. Because apathy is about a lack of energy, not a lack of caring. Let me say that again. Apathy is a lack of energy, not a lack of love, not a lack of caring. And yet, your lack of motivation or energy can be experienced by those around you as not caring, 
not wanting or choosing to be involved, not showing up. Again, self-absorption. But if you can't find medical or other reasons for that lack of energy, then it can very well be a part of classic depression, and it's the physical expression of it. What can you do about it? Again, as we've said, go to a PCP and get a basic workup. Open up to a trusted friend or go to a free community clinic and tell them about this lack of energy. If you can't find any medical reasons, then look for habits that you've gotten into, shortcuts that take less time maybe, but do very little to build sustainable energy, like not having breakfast, just grabbing a donut. It's one thing to have the energy to start something, but to maintain something takes a whole different kind of energy. You also want to make a list of people, activities, habits that fill your energy bucket. You cannot get energy out of an empty bucket. So are you depleting yourself? What in your life fills you up? So often your life could be filled with energy-sapping experiences or activities. You have to put at least some time in replacement of that energy. Laughter, things like laughter are huge here. That can be short little five-minute bursts of you filling up. So please make that list of people who fill you up, of experiences that fill you up, and make sure you're including those in your day. If this apathy is a part of depression, that's something you need to talk to your therapist about. But this can be now where apathy and anhedonia commingle. Many people will say they don't have the energy to do something because it's no longer pleasurable. That's anhedonia. Let's talk about that word. It's kind of weird, but think of the term hedonistic, which means you're always searching for pleasure. So anhedonia means the opposite. You find no pleasure in doing things that you've loved before. Again, to make sure we understand one another, these are things that you've normally loved. Actually, the presence of anhedonia is one of two major criteria for classic depression. You don't want to paint when that has been your go-to for joy and stress relief. You opt out of coaching your kid's basketball team because it's just not what it used to be. You load a Netflix show that used to be binge-worthy, and now you don't care about the plot or the characters. It seems silly to watch. You can see this in you, other people can see it in you, as your life seems to become smaller and smaller, as options that used to engage, challenge, or relax you don't seem to fit that purpose anymore. An analogy I've used in the past is that the lights, quote-unquote, that may have enlivened your life slowly are dimming, and it's growing harder and harder to see. But in many ways, that process can happen so slowly that you don't notice that you don't want to try anymore. It's no fun, it's too hard, it's too much. Whatever it is, you don't find meaning or joy in it. You can see how apathy, that lack of energy, and anhedonia, the lack of pleasure, can easily be part of the same problem. They can happen simultaneously, and guilt can accompany both. Internalized voices that shame you for not doing your part or are kicking you in the pants are telling you, you're just feeling sorry for yourself. Snap out of it. These voices can be constant. I'm going to be a bit repetitive here. Anhedonia, just like apathy, isn't about not caring. It's not being able to connect with your joy or sense of pride. Things have lost their meaning. It can be a huge part of depression, but it's not about a lack of caring. However, backing away from roles that you've always played or things that you seem to love to do can be taken very personally by others. You'd hear from your life partner, We used to love doing game night with the kids, and now you have no interest. Or at work, your colleague might say, I could always count on you to take the lead, and now you're late to meetings and rarely seem interested in growing the business. Others around you are confused, and as humans tend to do, they take your behavior and make it about them. It's a mistake, but it's a very common one. 
and they can see it as self-absorption. You don't think what I might like to do, or you don't see how hard I'm working. It's like you've just disappeared. So what can you do here? What can you do if you lost enjoyment in something? Maybe you need to understand the why before you begin judging yourself too harshly or feeling shame. Let's go over three or four of these whys. Number one, maybe that thing you enjoyed truly has become a burden, especially if it demanded a lot of work or preparation and no one was particularly grateful. Maybe it's become something you don't want to do because people began expecting it, taking it for granted, and that can feel like that thing you do is more important than you. That's one situation. Here's another one. Perhaps that pleasure had more to do with who you did it with. Maybe a buddy died and you don't want to go fishing anymore. Or y'all used to go to soccer games together and you just don't want to. Maybe your circumstances have changed and you need to grieve. Maybe the activity or the thing is very much associated with the person who's no longer alive. There's a movie out recently, A Man Called Otto, that's all about his wanting to die after his wife died. And yet he reawakens when he discovers another way to find meaning. I'd really like to see that movie. Here's a third situation. Maybe your age or physical status has changed your enjoyment. What you used to be able to do easily takes more work or time, or you just can't do what you used to do. That is really hard. And here's number four. Maybe you tried to get back on that horse, and you did something once that used to bring you pleasure, and then it didn't. So you don't try it again. Well, I tried that, and it didn't work. That's called a spoiling cognition. That's actually something I just learned from the guy that I'm going to interview this week. A spoiling cognition is a thought that spoils something that has been pleasurable. You tell yourself, well, I tried it once. What I'm suggesting here is that there could be a very understandable reason that the pleasure is gone, and yet somehow you feel to blame or you feel hopeless or like you're disappointing someone if you don't make yourself do it, or your own thinking about things gets overly negative and you spoil the ideas themselves. Then the blame, shame, spoiling, or paralysis becomes the problem, really. Makes sense? Self-compassion, not self-loathing, is what you need. So look at your reasons for why. What has happened that the meaning or the pleasure has gone out of it? And maybe you can come up with some other ideas. You can be transparent about why something doesn't hold meaning or pleasure now for you. And maybe with someone who's taking it personally, you can have a discussion about what you'd be willing to try that might be more pleasurable. Let me offer an example. Let's say that one partner has always enjoyed the back rubs her other partner has given her over the years. But the back rubs have disappeared. There haven't been arguments, just a backing off, a shrug of the shoulders with an excuse if she brings it up. You can see how easy it would be to assume that her partner no longer cares about something she's been very grateful for, and then the first partner can feel deserted and lonely. So what's the answer here? You gotta talk about it. I know you've always liked the back rubs I've given you, but frankly, this new job takes so much out of me physically, I don't have the energy. Or, I'm in therapy and working on my own sexual abuse right now, and I'm too triggered by it. Whatever it is, and then go further. Talk about how you can show your caring to each other, and then sit down and figure it out together. So often some of these circumstances, whether it's about grieving, whether it's about trying to enjoy something that you used to be able to do very, very well, and now you don't do it so well, how do you accept that? You can also watch for spoiling thoughts when your own mind is souring something before you even get it another chance. 
Laugh at yourself and remember some time when you tried something for the first time and hated it, but it turned into something you loved. Challenge yourself to expand your thinking. Don't settle for a lack of meaning and a lack of pleasure. Not having energy, not feeling pleasure, yes, these are symptoms of depression, but there can be something you can do about it. And if these things don't work, when you do them on your own, then please ask for help. Seek information. Because if you're going to risk seeming self-absorbed to those who love you, as if you don't care, that can do damage. And depression isn't not caring. What it can be is in its most severe form is an implosion of the self, not being able to be sure or know quite how to express that you care, because how you did it before just isn't possible right now. And you're working hard to find bits and pieces of who you are and what you might need more information about, about what you're feeling shame for, and you don't want to feel shame about it anymore. It doesn't have to look like self-absorption if you continue to find a way to express that you care, because some of the old ways or the old you are just temporarily misplaced. Maybe lost for a little while, but not forever. Communication is key. Not making assumptions is vital. Realizing the effect of depression's implosion and working through it to see your way clearly forward to once again enjoying life and finding ways to connect. Speak pipe message from drmargaretrutherford.com. Let's hear from today's featured listener. I would like to know why my mother has to always be more sick than me, more tired than me. It's hard to explain, but I don't really want sympathy from her. I would just like validation or I just I just don't even know how to explain it. Anytime I say anything, she's sicker, she's tireder, she's, I don't know. Uh, I believe my mother is a narcissist. It's a lot more than just her trying to out-sick me or out-tired me. I just would like some sort of validation as a person instead of it always turning into, what about me? What about me? I don't know if you've ever heard Joyce Meyer's robot, but that's my mother. What this woman is very painfully describing is the one-upper. It really doesn't matter what they need to one-up you for. Often these folks will one-up you on your misery as well as your happiness, your accomplishments as well as your struggles. Why? Because they don't have their own core of security. Now, what do I mean by that? That sounds a little jargonistic, doesn't it? (laughs) If I'm secure in myself, if I feel as if and believe that I'm doing things and living life in a way that fits me, is good for my family, that I'm a good friend, that I'm successful enough at whatever I'm wanting to do with my life, that I handle disappointment or grief pretty well, that I'm overall pleased with who I am, then I don't need to seek being better than or worse than anyone else because I'm secure in me. Someone in my family used to do this to me all the time. I knew, for example, that they never took walks, and I walk all the time. I love walking. But when I'd answer the question in front of this person, when someone would ask, well, what'd you do today? I'd answer by saying that I'd walked. Maybe I'd throw in how far I'd walked. Probably not. I'd probably say something about what I loved about it. And my family member wouldn't skip a beat until they were talking about how much they loved to walk, too. And again, I knew they didn't. I'd never seen them take a walk. I'd just shake my head. 
The more I saw this person as insecure, then it didn't get under my skin quite so much. I also had to give up on having a real relationship, something that several factors were pointing to, actually. I just couldn't make it not a competition. It wasn't a competition for me, but it definitely was for her. However, this person was not my mother, so therein lies a huge issue, because it is your mother. And I and certainly the other listeners can hear the yearning in this woman's voice to be seen by her mom, to be admired for her accomplishments and closely held in her struggles. What I usually suggest to people is that they try to find someone who's older who can act as that maternal or paternal energy or force. It can also help to see that her own mother may not be withholding something from her that she could give if she so chose. Her mother's likely not to have that kind of security in herself, so she's even competitive with her own child, even an adult child. And that's not something she can necessarily change. She doesn't have that approval to give. So look to an aunt, a grandmother, the mother of a good friend, or an older friend, someone who can offer what would feel so much better, and then do a bit of grieving about your mom and her insecurity, and that may be something you never get from her. Try to appreciate what she does offer, but you may have to give up on that one. Thank you for reaching out. And thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. If you're one of the people who have read Perfectly Hidden Depression and you would like to join a study group, please contact me within the next week or so at my Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. I'm going to be setting up a study group in February. So if you're interested, again, go to my closed Facebook group because that's where I'm going to be organizing it at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Perfectly Hidden Depression remains available in paperback, in ebook, and in audiobook. If you like it or it has helped you in some way, please give it a rating and review on Amazon. That would mean a lot. And certainly give me a rating here wherever you listen to self-work. I'd love to know that you're glad I'm back, <laughs> whatever you want to write. I'm glad I'm back. You can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. You can get on my website at drmargaretrutherford.com and subscribe there. And you'll get a weekly newsletter with my podcast, with a blog post, and any news about me, like where I might be giving a talk or being featured in some way. Or I might give you some news about something else going on in mental health. Once a week, I promise. Again, that's drmargaretrutherford.com. And you can see it says subscribe here. So thank you again for being here. Please take very good care of yourself, your family, your loved ones, and of your community. I want to say something really clearly here because there have been more mass shootings in the United States, and you know I don't make political statements, so I'm not going to now. But I want to remind you, hatred is not a mental illness. Okay, I want to say that one more time. Hatred is not a mental illness. It's not that mentally ill people can't hate, but they are hate crimes, and that is not mental illness. Thank you again for being here. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.